<laughs> it was probably not great if you have to work out in it, but uh, it was it was great to watch come down this morning. Uh, I pick up donuts every Sunday morning, so I was trying to run in between the rain <laughs> the rain bouts and made it. Praise the Lord! It was fun. All right, we are going to be in Matthew chapter thirteen. That's where I want you to turn and hold in those Bibles you held up. Confounding words. Can you think of times when your mom or your dad said things to you that were confounding? I need to hush this thing up so it doesn't talk to me anymore. What are some confounding things that your parents told you growing up? Well, when I was little and I heard this, it's going to hurt me a whole lot worse than it hurts you. That was confounding to me. Because if I had that stick, I could beat him. It wouldn't hurt me at all. <laughs> now, I understood, now that I'm a parent, I understood exactly what he meant. Or maybe my grandmother would, after she would get out that little bottle of, uh, you know, you take the lid off and a little smoke comes out of the top of it. It's called methylate or mercuricone. Any of you understand that one? I mean, it's got to be bad if it's got a skull and crossbones on the label. I mean, it just does. And so what does she do? She takes your cut, she pulls it open, and just dabs it in there. I mean, she, she doesn't pour anything in there. She just dabs it in there, right? And then she does what? Shuts it back up. And it doesn't take very long for your body to react to that opening and closing in the little dab. You, you're sure that your finger is on fire. There's no doubt about it. You can blow all you want to. It's not going away. I mean, kids today have got it easy compared to what you and I had to go through. I mean, Neo, yeah. they've got Neosporin, not us. We have Mercurco. I mean, they've banned it now in nine countries. You know, I'm just teasing. But confounding things. Those are confounding things. Doctor tells Pat, you have a cracked kneecap. Could operate, I just go eight weeks and it'll heal up itself. That's confounding to me. If I've got a bone that's cracked, it shouldn't just heal up by itself, should it? Well, yeah, it has to. Okay. Ask the doctor about the metal plates in my knee. He said, Well, it'll all dissolve, it's okay. I said, What will dissolve? He said, Well, those things we put in there. I don't want to know what those things are. Stitches. It's confounding. They put stitches in your body to disappear. Where'd they go? I thought if you sewed them in there, shouldn't you unsew them? <laughs> but they disappear. I don't, I don't get it. But those are confounding things, aren't they? There's times in the Bible when statements are made that confound you. And we're going to do some looks through July and 1st of August on some things that confound us. Some words that Jesus shared that are confounding. Makes you want to go, huh? What do you mean by that? Now you can tell when a text of the Bible is difficult. Because when you go to commentators to find out what they say about that text, and they don't really have much to say about it, you know that it's even confounding to them. Okay? Now, they may try to give you some information, and yada, 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 but it doesn't make any sense. Still confounding. 
So I'm hoping today that you'll leave with a little bit clearer picture of this confounding statement than when you came in this morning. And of course, hopefully you're saying, what confounding statement? Well, we're going to get to it. Just hang on. Hang on. Because when you open chapter 13, verse 1, it starts with a parable of the sower. You remember that one, don't you? Four types of soil, cast the seed, and only one of the four actually grew and took root and became productive. I've heard preachers say, see, one in four Christians are the only ones going to grow. The rest of them are going to end up burning and going to hell. And I thought, wow, man, wow. Easy, brother, easy. <laughs> but, you know, the point is, is that there are so many Christians who have found the Lord, but they're not growing anymore. They're complacent. Complacent. It's the first time I've been to a funeral to hear a man telling stories about another man and he's using profanity in his story. I, I thought, okay, go for it, man. You don't have to talk about people that way. And he wasn't being profane about him. It's just he, those were profane words slipping out of his mouth. I just thought, really? Don't you know where you are? What you're doing? But see, sometimes people don't think about that, do they? They just, but dum ba dum So, verses 1 through 9 tell the parable of the sower, and then you have to jump down to verse 18 through 23 for Jesus to explain what that parable meant. But sandwiched in between, that's our text today, sandwiched in between is this text that we're going to look at, Matthew 13, verses 10 through 17. But before we go too much further, we probably need to define first what is a parable. Well, in your sermon notes, I've got it for you there. A parable is a short fictional story from human experience, and you may have to do some spell checks for me as we go through this, whose purpose, poopus, (laughs) is to teach an important moral or spiritual truth. That's just a working definition of what a parable is. And so chapter 13 presents and begins a discussion and a decided shift in the teaching style of Jesus. Now before we go too much further, let's go to our text in Matthew 13 and let's start at verse 10. So follow along in yours. I'm using the New American Standard. Uh, It may be a little different than yours, but not too much. So just stay with me. Here we go. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Now this is a key verse. Highlight this verse, circle it, underline it. It's a key verse. Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. That's a confounding statement. Say what? What did he just say? Verse 12, For whoever has to him, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says this, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For they hear hear of this people... Uh, excuse me, for the heart of this people, I can't read either, has become dull. 
With the ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. Verse 16, But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you that not many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. So what are the reason for parables? What are the reason for parables? But before we dive too much further into the text, we need to backtrack a little bit. Because I believe that Bible study is before and after what a statement says. But this time, and I usually go five before and five after to try to understand what a verse is saying to me. But this time I want to jump back a couple of chapters. You've got to go back to chapter 11. And in chapter 11, we find four things that will amaze you. First of all, you, you discover the ministry of John the Baptist. Of John the Baptist. Now look at verses 11 through 18. It says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, Oh, he has a demon. So John was the forerunner of Jesus, right? He was coming to prepare the way of the coming Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. John was a little different in his approach to things. He was very straightforward. He didn't mince words. He got right to the point. You loved his sermons because within ten minutes he could let you have it and you'd say, okay, and you'd either respond or walk away. And as we're discovering, right here, John neither came eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. So what we find is that they have rejected, rejected John. John, the Baptist ministry, they rejected it. Number two, we see the ministry of Jesus Christ. What characterized Jesus' ministry is that he exercised freedoms that the Word of God allows for those who trust God and believe in God and have God in their life. You see, we have a lot of freedoms in Christ. Amen? But don't let, as Paul says, don't let the freedoms become an opportunity for you to sin. You're supposed to walk away from sin, not sin more, so grace can keep increasing. He addressed that in chapter 6 of Romans. Because once you become a Christian, once you surrender your heart to God and you're baptized into Christ, that old man is dead. He should be, she should be dead. I'll wait. They should be dead. Whoa! You see, the Pharisees, they just weren't comfortable with the way Jesus was presenting spirituality. Because His way of presenting it, the freedoms that He was living and talking about, boy, it bothered them a lot. They would say, why, He had the gall to go eat with a bunch of sinners. Look at verse 19 of chapter 11 of John. John. It says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. So, in the ministry of Jesus, they rejected Him as well. John the Baptist, now Jesus, number three. 
signs and miracles that Jesus did. Jesus would teach them later, Woe to you! Woe to you! Though many had seen Him, and I'll bet there were people seeing Him literally do these miracles and these signs that were all around Him. They were watching Him doing these miraculous things, but they were still in total disbelief. They had rejected these signs and these wonders that He was doing. Can you imagine seeing the blind man who could see from wash the mud off of his eyes? Can you see the guy that couldn't hear and he puts his fingers in his ears and he pops them out and the guy can hear? The lame man laying on the mat who couldn't walk was that way from birth. He didn't even touch him. He said, just get up and carry your mat and leave. And the boy jumps up. He's got strength in his legs, muscles in his legs, and he walks off. How about Jairus' daughter? She's laying there dead. People are going, oh, she'll never come around. Oh, 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 professional mourners were in town. They were getting paid to cry and yell and scream. Jesus had the audacity to walk in and raise her from the dead. What? What? Lazarus is in the tomb. He's dead, been dead for three days, starting to smell a little. Yeah. Had the audacity to get him out of the grave. What? You know, they saw this stuff, and yet they still rejected these signs and wonders. And then number four there is the person in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This one's a dangerous one. You see, in chapter 12, the Holy Spirit is described as the divine agent of change in Matthew 12. Jesus also, also describes for them how blasphemous their lives were and that they were committing that unforgivable sin, even at a later date, calls them a den of vipers. Jesus didn't mince words when He talked about these Pharisees. These Pharisees were self-righteous, self-absorbed, I-know-it-more-than-you type people. Ever met any Christians like that? (laughs) A dime a dozen they are. They know all the answers. You've got no answers. It doesn't matter how much Bible study you would do. You can read the same verse with them. You can have the right answer and it's still wrong because they'll tell you it's wrong. Amen? And they're like that. Well, Jesus is telling them very emphatically, be careful what you're doing there when you reject, again, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. (coughs) I contend today that there are a lot of Christians walking this world who are rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit. They'll sense the Holy Spirit. They'll feel the presence of the Holy Spirit and then they'll quench Him. They'll quench Him. The book of Ephesians says, don't quench the Holy Spirit of God that's in you. Don't quench Him. And in a couple of weeks we're going to go to CIY. I would love for all of you to experience what these teenagers get to experience, what Jeff was talking about earlier. When you get a thousand teenagers, a thousand to twelve hundred of them, standing in an auditorium and singing songs, it's unbelievable. 
It's almost unbelievable. There's times I sit in the back, and it's just hard to keep tears from coming down your face because you're hearing something that is so awesome. It's so awesome. You'll see kids probably that don't sing much and don't express themselves very much begin to express themselves. I love to watch April sing. April sings incredibly well. I'm going to get her up on that stage one of these days if I have to drag her up there. And when she leaves worship, she's part of worship, and it's coming through her pores. We've got to quit quenching the Holy Spirit. When He's prompting you, do something about it. I'm not saying get wild and go crazy and bark on a tree. I'm not talking about that at all. But I am talking about doing something with your life. The Holy Spirit's wanting to move in you. He's wanting to do things in you. Quit quenching Him. Quit. Stop quenching Him. Quit rejecting. Start living. And since chapter 11, we have had a clear rejection of everything that God through Christ has tried to do for the Jewish nation. And so that sets the stage for this transition that is totally different in a totally different way and style of teaching. And that's why. That's why the apostles asked the question. But go back to verse 11, our key verse. Jesus said to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been granted. I want you to underline and circle two groups of people that are mentioned here. Two separate groups are identified. There's the you, circle that, and the them. The yous are those who are given the secret to the mystery of the kingdom. The thems, they're given... No secrets. They're given nothing. The you's and the them's. Which one are you? Are you a you or are you a them? A you or a them? See, the you group represent those who believe. The them group represent all those who have rejected God's truth. We've got plenty of them rejecting the truth. We live in a time when the truth of God is being rejected at every hand. But it's fun to watch Christians time and time again standing up and being counted. Now, there was another mass shooting in South Carolina at a, uh, at a uh, uh, bar or something. Never heard about it, did you? You know why? Because one of the people that was a victim was a concealed carry person, and he pulled out his gun, and he shot the guy in the leg, and he threw his gun down. Gun's not the problem. Never has been the problem. Sin has always been the problem. Sin is the problem, folks. The Holy Spirit's the answer. Jesus is the answer. But we're too blind to even let that happen. Well, I remember, I'm a preacher. I accepted Jesus a long, long time ago. Well, I will. That's good. That's good. What you been doing since then? 
How much Bible reading do you do? How much time do you, how many hours do you spend in prayer every, day, every, every week? Every day. How much personal worship do you do? How many people have you led to Christ? See, these aren't optional. These are not optional. This is part of the kingdom work that we're supposed to do. We're taking these teenagers up to, to Nebraska to hear the message of Christ. And they're going to come back on fire. And I wish it would last all year long. Unfortunately, it doesn't. Because they get around all of us adults who have lost it too. When was the last time you just got so excited to be in the Lord that you just couldn't contain it? Ha ha! When was the last time? When was the last time a song was sung that just got to you so much you couldn't even sing anymore? You had to get on your knees and cry. That's what I'm talking about. When's the last time? When's the last time? See, in order to truly grasp what Jesus is saying here, we've got to look back in John chapter 12 and verse 36. Turn to John 12, 36. I'll give you a moment. All right, John 12, 36. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. These things that Jesus spoke and He went away, He spoke them and then He went away and He hid Himself. While you have the light, become, believe in the light. Same emphasis, these verses, as we read in chapter 13, related to Isaiah's passage. But look at verse 37 of John 12. It says, But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. So Isaiah in the Old Testament was saying the same thing that Jesus is saying in Matthew, and John is saying in his book, it's the same problem. They see it, but they don't believe it. You're living beneath the privilege and the victory that God wants to demonstrate in your life. But you don't want to hear it. You don't want to believe it. Oh, He might heal somebody else, but He can't heal me. Really? Not with that sourpuss attitude. He can't do nothing. You've defeated Him before He ever starts to work on you. He did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and a sound mind. Amen? That's where we're supposed to be. And this passage speaks to the idea that they were to live in the light, but He hid the light from them because of their consistent unbelief. He hid Himself. He hid it away. Because He got so tired of people who see it and won't believe it. He said, fine, I'm just going to hide from you. You'll never see it again. That's Jesus saying that, folks. So, parables address two things in our life. Number one, they address rejection. What Jesus did physically in John 12, He does verbally in Matthew 13. He hides the truths of the kingdom from those who don't believe. 
And for some here today in this room, for me, and for many in general, they know God. They know about God. They've had plenty of time to make a decision about God, but they do nothing. They do nothing. They don't want Him. They don't want to give up whatever it is they're going to give up for God. If you can name something you've got to give up, then you ought to. (laughs) It's not that good. It's not that good. You might have made your confession of faith, but you haven't gone beyond that point. Baptism is not enough. Confession is not enough. Belief is not enough. You've got to put legs to all of that. Amen? You've got to get some legs to it. So many people, they hang it up when they walk out the door. One of my sons used to leave his Bible at church, and I'd say, where's your Bible? So you can read it at home. He said, Dad, it'll always be at church when I get there. Well, yeah, that's true. It will be. But you need it here so you can be in it through the week. But he equated his development in God as connected to the church building. If you're doing it all right here, you're, you're in trouble. You are in trouble with a capital T. You better get more than what's here. And you can only get that through your own personal desire to want it. Well, there's podcasts. I'm even online. Come on. You can listen to me three or four times a day if you want. I know it would kill you, but hey. You can watch Russell out in, in uh, if you speak Russian, you can watch Russell on, online. I tuned in one time just to listen. I thought, man, he got excited. I didn't know what he said. But I got excited with him. And we're going to start broadcasting our service too. You didn't know that, but we're going to. It's going to be fun. I mean, you can hear messages all the time. But it doesn't do any good to hear it if you're not going to apply it. It doesn't do any good. Unless you apply it. So this parable, it means hiding the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven from those who have rejected His teaching. Look again at verse 12 in our text today. If you got it, you get more. If you don't, you get nothing. If you don't believe it, trust me, you're never going to get it. But my... My heartbreak is for those that are Christians that have been Christians for years and years and years who they still don't get it. They still don't get it. We're not supposed to shine the light on ourselves. We're not supposed to spend money on ourselves. We're supposed to send it out to the people to win them to Christ, to bring more and to help more. And we do a really good job at that, folks. We do for the size church we are. But what about me personally? What am I doing? Am I taking the message to the highways and byways? Am I compelling them to come into the, to, the, to the feast? That's what Jesus said to do. Go out and compel them to come. In other words, put them in a headlock and drag them to church. I was sitting by some folks getting ready for that funeral the other day. And they were talking about how they don't go to church. And I said, why don't you go to church? And they just hammered around. I said, you know, it won't hurt you. I loved it. She goes, yeah, you know, you're right. It wouldn't hurt me. And here comes the profanity out of her mouth. Because that's all they know. That's all they know. Man, sweeten up your speech. It's not, it's not flattering for women to cuss. It's just not. It's not flattering for anybody to cuss, but women especially. Stop it. Not to talk that way. 
You don't. So the parables address rejection, and then secondly, the parables address revelation. Remember verse 11? He who has more will get more. The very same parable that hides the truth of the kingdom from the hearts of unbelievers reveals the truth of the kingdom to those who believe. Isn't that awesome? So in other words, the more you dig, what happens? The more you get. The more you get. If you don't dig, you're not going to get. So the more you dig, the more you get. Why do you go away to a youth conference or any kind of a conference and you come back with more? Because you were digging and you got more. Yeah. Oh, you can go to the bait shop and buy worms, but isn't it more fun to go dig them up yourself? Yeah. Then you've earned them. Go, go fish with those worms. The bad part's when you're eating meatloaf and you cut one in half. Not fun to find the other half wiggling out of the back end. I did that with a cockroach one time at church camp. Took it up to the guy cooking and he said, Well, you got some fiber today. I didn't like that at all. I just threw it in his face and walked away. That wasn't the answer I was looking for. That, that wasn't smart on my part. I didn't get any more to eat, so, you know, be careful. I could have picked the bug out and just kept going, right? That's what I should have done. Instead of being a horse's, you know what? Patoot. <laughs> but see, if you're studying, if you're seeking, if you're wanting, guess what? He's going to reveal that truth. When you're digging, He's going to give you more. Happens every time. I hear you say it all the time. Boy, I read that verse about a year ago and it didn't mean as much as it does today. That's right, because your life's different. But the fact is, you're digging in that verse. Amen. Stirring in that verse. Amen. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. How many times can you read that and just walk away and go, well, it never says anything new to me. Really? Put your name in there. Then it's going to mean a lot more. For God so loved Harold that He gave Jesus to die for Harold. So that if Harold would believe, Harold would get eternal life. That makes it a little different, doesn't it? You've got to dig, and when you dig, He's going to reveal more. That's what He says. Because then He goes on to tell us that blessed are the believer's eyes, for they will see, and blessed are the believer's ears, for they will hear. And it's so much like what we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 14-16, through 16, where it says, But their minds were hardened... For until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it's removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But when a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When you find the Lord, you get it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You came out of that water and all of a sudden, whoa, whoa. And you haven't looked back since, have you? It's awesome. Every day's a new day. Every day's a great day. Every day I can learn more. Amen? I'll wait. <laughs> In 1981... A Minnesota radio station reported a story 
about a stolen car in California. Police were staging this intense search for this car and the driver of this car, the person that had stolen it. They were placing announcements on local radio stations all over the country to contact the thief, actually. On the front seat of the stolen car set a box of crackers that, unknown to the thief, were laced with poison. The car owner had intended to use the crackers as rat bait. The police said the owner of the Volkswagen Bug were was more interested in apprehending the thief to save his life than to actually recover the car. And so often, when we run from God, when we don't grow in our walk with God, we feel it's to escape His punishment. But what we are actually doing is running away from His rescue. Running away. For his rescue. Father, I ask you this morning to move among the hearts of your people here. I'm probably safe to say, Lord, that everybody in this room knows you as their personal Savior and has claimed that, repented of their sins, been baptized, been walking with you for a long time. But perhaps, Lord, they've become complacent in that walk. Perhaps, Lord, they need to rekindle a fire a flame within themselves. And God, you've never said that age, there's an age that we can get to where we can just kind of sit down and quit and not really be involved much. We'll let somebody else do it. But the fact is that somebody else never shows up either. So God, would you rekindle afresh and anew in us so that As we're growing, more is being revealed to us. As we're digging, we're getting more and more and more and more. But Father, there could come a time when we quit doing it all and we won't get anything. You'll hide yourself from us and we'll never see you again. Oh God, would we never get to that point? If there's some repenting that needs to go on today, today's a great day for it. If there's some baptizing that needs to happen, we can do that too. But God, whatever decision somebody needs to make today, would they? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing our hymn of invitation. Jesus is tenderly calling us home. If he's calling you, would you respond today? <laughs>